Welcome to the Conversations with Christians Engage podcast, where we go in-depth with practical ways for you to pray, vote, and engage. Today we are joined by Brian Fisher. Brian is the president of Human Coalition, and he will be sharing his story and discussing why the pro-life movement transcends politics. This is Bunny Pounds with Christians Engage coming to you on our podcast again. We are having strategic conversations about things that are happening in Texas, things that we feel like you need to know. And today we have uh, one of the most important conversations that we've had so far about the unborn, about the pro-life movement in Texas, in America. And we're privileged to have the CEO and president of Human Coalition with us, Brian Fisher. But before we get to Brian, I want to introduce you to my vice, our vice president, Tracy Bradford. Tracy was the former president of Texas Eagle Forum. She has advocated for legislation all over uh, Austin for like a decade, my friends. She has been doing this forever, and we're privileged to have her. Um, Christians Engage exists to cause the to compel the body of Christ to pray for our elected officials, our cities, our state, our nation, to vote in every election and to engage in some sort of political education and activism. Engage with the culture, my friends. This is the time. This is the hour. It's time for the church to wake up. So with that, I turn it over to Tracy Bradford. Thank you, Bunny. And we're so excited to have Brian uh, here today to represent Human Coalition. You know, life is the foundational issue and everything builds off of that. And um, when my work with Texas Eagle Forum, I was very privileged to get to have the opportunity to stand on the front lines for that. Um, And in that, you know, you think you're pro-life and then something happens to make you realize how much further are you willing to go? And I remember someone bringing up the fact, um, they use the term image bearers. And when they said that to describe the baby in the womb, it just shot to my heart and I realized at the very core even though I knew pro-life was important that we are the image bearers of Jesus Christ and that's what every single child is created in and so when, when any opportunity comes up to further the life discussion to further the life issue to fight for life um we want to be on the front lines of that and one group that I came across uh it was kind of a happenstance we were doing a an event to fight human trafficking and the attorney general was there and a, a young man came up to me afterwards or he may be older than he looks um colin Lacroix, and started talking and we were talking about human trafficking and then he started to share about human coalition and i just remember thinking where have i been how have i not heard about this group it was so exciting to hear what y'all were doing and the next step we came down and we got to do a tour and that's where we met you brian and then we were invited to a fundraiser. I have, have to tell you, I've never been to a fundraiser that marked my heart so clearly. You talked about your vision. You are you and Bunny have something in common. You have an entrepreneurial spirit and you take and find the strategy to accomplish those uh, endeavors. But you could not keep yourself from speaking about Jesus Christ. You shared the salvation message at this beautiful, uh, we were at a uh, country club 
and everybody's having this lovely lunch and you just could, you could tell watching you, you could not keep it in. You had to share that message. So to introduce you, I really want to go from that place that you are a man of vision. You're a man of wisdom and you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what I see driving you to rescue these babies. So um, they can read about you online to get all your background, but I, I just really think the heart of who you are is represented and the people that you have that working with you so beautifully through Human Coalition. So you guys take it away. Brian, we are just thrilled to have you and I can just see in your eyes for those of people that are watching on video, um, they can just see the love of Jesus already in your eyes. So brother, go ahead and share us a little bit about the history of Human Coalition and what you all do. Well, thanks so much for that kind introduction. I think next time I do a fundraiser, I'm going to have you guys introduce me. We'd raise a whole lot more money than when I just stand up there myself. Yeah, Tracy's um, introductions are over the top. Yeah, pretty good. Um, well, very briefly, uh, God condescended to save me when I was six years old. So I have been walking with Jesus uh, for most of my life. And for that, I'm very grateful and was always pro-life. Uh, certainly theologically, but when I was in um, radio, Christian radio, way back early in my career, I was introduced to a woman who was at the studio doing some work, but she was involved in the pro-life movement. And I didn't know what the pro-life movement was. I didn't realize that abortion was the leading cause of death in America. I didn't know that one in three deaths every day is caused by abortion. I just didn't understand the depth of evil of what abortion was doing to our families and our communities. And that started me on a long journey of education as the Lord slowly over, you know, more than a decade convicted me. And in 2007, I was running a large ministry down in Florida. And we began to test this idea of using technology and compassion and grace and data in a, in a beautiful mix to reach women who were very high at risk to abort their children and to provide legitimate long-term care for them so that not only was the baby safe from abortion, but that the mom had the opportunity to thrive as well. We did a test now, gosh, 13 years ago. And then I moved to Dallas uh, for lots of different reasons. And I got back into the business world. I'm a business uh, person by, by background and by trade. And, you know, I was excited to be back in the for-profit world, but God had other plans and slowly began to convict me to, to do this work full time. And I fought it. I mean, I'd love to tell you that I was, you know, raring to go in the pro-life movement, but I wasn't. And um, God had to basically drag me into this work until June 22nd, 2010. And on that day, uh, baby number one was rescued from abortion, a little girl in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I got a call that night from the center we were working with. And, and they said, using your method, we just rescued the very first human coalition baby from abortion. And it broke me. Uh, I, I joke that I'm a German pragmatist businessman. And so my emotional range is about two inches wide, but I got off the phone and uh, just started bawling. One, because here God had condescended not only to save me when I was young, but also use me in the act of rescuing one of his image bearers from death. But uh, also just because I was so convicted because I'd had such a crummy attitude about it for you know a few years and recognize that, you know, God does work often in spite of us, not because of us. And um, from that moment on, then I, I began seeking the Lord to try to figure out a way to get into this full time. And, you know, graciously, he provided that a few years later. And now Human Coalition is, you know, 175 people across the country and the largest pro-life organization in the nation. 
and that's just because of his grace and, and nothing else. And uh, by God's grace, we've rescued over 17,200 children so far. Wow, what a story, Brian. Amazing. It's so important what you're doing, and the church has to be involved uh, in the pro-life movement. Um, this is the issue of our time. We all, we all know that to our core. It's black and white. There's no gray, right? And so tell us a little bit about why you as an individual are pro-life and why, what's the scriptural relevance for believers of why this issue should be one of their most important things that they work on and vote for? I often joke that I get asked to speak a lot once. <laughs> I almost never get asked back when, to a church in particular um, because my message here, which I think is just scripture, is, is hard for the church. Uh, the reality is that um, everybody in the world functions from a worldview and everybody's worldview is grounded in their theology. And the only theology on the planet that even justifies protecting preborn children is the Christian worldview. Therefore, there's only one group of people in the United States that has the uh, moral standing and the conviction to end abortion, and that is the church. And yet, as you well know from your work, uh, the church at times can be the hardest group to work with. And I'm a member of the church. You're members of the church. It's, it is self-indicting to some degree. But we need to take a look at God's word very, very seriously. So Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter, oh, hold them back. Because if you say, see, we didn't know this, does he not consider it who weighs your hearts and does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? In other words, we as believers are most certainly to be about the business of preaching the gospel so that souls are saved. But a very close second, I would say almost imperceptibly close, is the command to rescue those victims of injustice and physically. And there is no greater example in American history, in American history, of a people group more victimized than preborn children. We've now lost over 62 million children to abortion since 1973, leading cause of death in America. And so scripture makes it very clear that the preborn child has the exact same intrinsic value as you and I. And my challenge to pastors and priests all over the country is if that's true, then we should view abortion, which kills 3,000 preborn children a day, the same as if we were killing 3,000 five-year-olds a day. The wow. question then for pastors and priests is, are your churches behaving the same way about preborn children as they would about the slaughter of toddlers? And there's not a church in America that I can answer yes to that question. So I think scripture clearly articulates we're made in the image of God, obviously, that's the message of the first few chapters of Genesis. And we have this clear message that God makes no distinction between the value of the zygote or the adult, and says the church is to be about the business of proclaiming the gospel so that souls can be saved and rescuing victims of injustice. And that second part has been a very difficult message for the American church to embrace. That's so good, Brian. I mean, we know the scriptures in Jeremiah that God knew him in the womb before he was even born and ordained him to be a preacher of the gospel. We know uh, Psalms 139 um, that we were crafted and in, in our innermost parts in our mother's womb. I mean, God knew us before we were born and he sees these precious children um, in, the, in these mother's wombs around our, our nation. So, Tell us some of the nuts and bolts, like 
how does it work? How do you guys rescue babies? How does a human coalition do this thing? Well, you've been to our offices, so you know that we're probably one of the oddest nonprofits in the country in that we have, you know, most of our staff is, is in the medical field. We have nurses and counselors and trained folks that work with women, but then the other part of it is data analysts and uh, in people who are deeply involved in marketing and internet technology and IT, and there's this beautiful mix of sort of a for-profit data analytics business mindset with compassionate care delivered through our medical systems. And, um, you know, we use a lot of technology. The reality is that there's about 2 million internet searches every month in the United States for abortion procurement terms, meaning 2 million times a month, somebody is going online searching for abortion clinic Dallas, Unbelievable. 46 morning after pill. So that's our mission field. Well, you need to speak just like we would in evangelism, you need to connect and speak with people who are searching in the way that they need to be served. And so most of the work that we do to find our clients is online. So we're buying internet ads and we're using cool web pages and links and doing uh, different things there that allow us to find a woman who is identifying that she is high at risk to abort. And then we invite her into our system of care, typically through a phone call. So we have a fantastic contact center here in our home office in Plano, and we have a team of unbelievable agents there, and that's their job. They take calls from women who are high at risk to abort, and within five or six minutes, their job is to build trust, assure them that we are here to love them and care for them, describe the services that we provide, clearly say that we're not gonna provide them an abortion, we're not an abortion clinic, we're not going to provide you one, we're not gonna refer you for one. What we are gonna do is give you legitimate options and then schedule them an appointment either at one of our physical clinics or we have telehealth clinics, virtual clinics. And then from there, their journey begins with a nurse and typically a social worker. So they can get their medical questions answered, they can get an ultrasound, a pregnancy test, some other medical services. And then they can get enrolled in a program which is designed to say, hey, look, if you can't pay the rent, we're gonna help you put a resume together and help you get a job. If you're on drugs, we're gonna connect you with a drug and alcohol abuse uh, counselor. If you are in an abusive relationship, we're gonna help rescue you and find you a maternity home. If you are having issues in a relationship, we're gonna provide you counseling. And basically you work with the woman to identify what her obstacles are to choosing life. And then we walk with her to remove those obstacles so that choosing life is frankly a rational, reasonable, loving thing to do and that offer of practical help and care and love, and we're going to stick with you, maybe when nobody else in her life will, um, you know, has resulted in over 17,000 children being rescued. And I think destroys the lies of the abortion industry, which basically say to these women, you know what, you actually can't do it. You, you don't have what it takes to be a mom and have a job, have a mom and have a relationship, be a mom and do X, Y, and Z. We now have you know, tens of thousands of women who have done the alternative because we're willing to actually walk with them. So it's this mixture of awesome tech and you know, just straight out love and compassion. Wow, that's amazing the holistic approach that you take to the whole issue, that it's not just a, a yes or no, I believe in something, um, but there's a whole bunch of dynamics that are going on as it relates to those women choosing life. Um, do y'all, another side question to that, do you all partner with existing clinics that are already happening or do you have your own clinics just out of curiosity? 
As both, actually. Uh, we own and operate seven what we call brick and mortar clinics in different cities across the country. And then we uh, own and operate uh, two large virtual clinics, telehealth clinics, which cover pretty large geographies. Wow. But we have partnerships with uh, about 35 or 40 what are called pregnancy centers, which are other pro-life clinics. And then we have literally hundreds, hundreds of other service providers in all different kinds of areas. They might be government services like WIC or CHIP or um, SNAP, or they might be churches that have maternity homes, counseling programs, relationship counseling programs. Um, in each of our cities, our social workers build these large databases of qualified partners because if we don't provide the service, we're going to find somebody who provides that service. And right. it, it really results in this beautiful coalition of very extensive care. Yeah, it's time for us to all work together wherever we Amen. have the resources, right? Amen. Tracy, do you want to say anything while we're at this place before we switch over to the next topic? Yeah, I just wanted to say when we took the tour and walked through the different aspects of it, it was just so eye-opening and, and encouraging that, you know, so many times we tend to, I hate to say it, but as believers, we're, we're following what the culture's doing and reacting, where you guys jumped in and are leading in this area. And the whole virtual clinic idea, um, when they explained, Colin explained that to us, I just remember thinking, you're going where the need is. That's basic marketing. You know, you go and, and selling, you go to where the need is. And there's so many young women who would never be touched if they couldn't connect through this online. And so I just, I really love the whole model that y'all are using. Well, Thanks, even right now we, we see telemedicine, right? I don't know if any of us before COVID-19 really understood that telemedicine was going to be the new cool thing. You guys were on the front lines of that for the pro-life movement. That's amazing, Brian. We were very fortunate. We started the first virtual clinic in uh, the spring of 2018 here in Texas. And uh, when COVID hit March 13th, we made the decision that we were going to switch the entire network to uh, virtual and over one weekend that's exactly what we did and so by march 16th 175 staff were all working from home but because we already had the technology in place and the systems in place we were able to make that switch and as you can imagine our our volume went up because the need is great especially during a pandemic wow so in the broader context of the pro-life movement everybody has their methods everybody has um you know, their way of doing things, but what are some practical ways that ordinary Christians, and I shouldn't call us ordinary because we're not, um, but ordinary believers can make an impact? Brian? I get this question a fair amount. I, you know, I, I genuinely believe the primary issue with the church's reluctance to step in and end abortion is a lack of education. And so I realize that that's not necessarily the, you know, the, the glittery answer that everybody wants, but I have toured the country and met with all different kinds of church leaders at different levels of governance. And the, the reluctance of churches to deal with this for what it is, which is the greatest American genocide in history, is largely driven by fear and ignorance. Now, the fear part, you know, that's a deeper, longer conversation, but from an ignorance standpoint, Lay people who are understand that the greatest moral priority in our nation, bar none, is abortion. And the greatest issue for the church, bar none, today, is abortion. 
can do an enormous amount of good and have an enormous amount of impact just by finding winsome ways of educating their church leadership and their churches about what abortion is and about its spiritual uh, ramifications according to scripture and about how, you know, to be honest, it's not that difficult to end abortion. It isn't. We, we, we kind of make it more complicated than what it is. And if more Christians would get educated themselves and then take it upon themselves to educate their other Christian brothers and sisters, um, that's usually how the passion gets ignited and how further engagement down the road occurs. It's probably that way in every uh, cause. But in this case, because abortion is so politicized and so unpopular and because, you know, it's not exactly water cooler talk, the fear is overcome by emotion and passion with proper, articulate, accurate education. Well, and I found we've, I know Tracy can agree with me on this. I found people sometimes don't want to get involved in the pro-life movement because they're, the condemnation that they have of things that they might have even done. Um, you know, whether they had an abortion, they helped facilitate an abortion, something that lingering guilt um, continues to keep people from engaging, even though they know that that's the right thing to do. And we have, have to speak a message of redemption, right? That the blood of Jesus sets people free from even the shame of this sin, um, that we're, all of us have been affected in some way or another. Um, my husband, you know, was affected in his younger years, and it doesn't matter if we're male or female, this issue uh, affects us. So how can one person help Human Coalition? How can they plug in with you guys? Well, you said that beautifully. I say all the time, the cross of Christ is bigger than the sin of abortion. We have numerous people on uh, staff who have had abortion in their background and they find the work very redemptive, but the work itself is not the redeemer. <laughs> our redeemer is our redeemer. Right. And um, because of his uh, sacrifice on the cross, anybody that has abortion in their background as painful and sad as it is, and it is those things, is still not beyond redemption because of the power of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that's where I think folks step into the gap and begin to support Human Coalition, as well as other fantastic pro-life organizations across yes. the country. For us, um, folks can get involved by signing up for an email list. Go to humancoalition.org and sign up to get our emails. Um, right now, we're doing some very interesting work related to Planned Parenthood. I think people would want to know about that. Uh, Human Coalition Action is our new political effort. HuCoAction.org is a great place to go. Uh, sign up with us on Facebook. Um, a very tangible way is to talk to your church leadership about what we're doing. The more that we can get plugged in with local churches and help to be an educator, uh, the more powerful this movement will become and the faster that we're going to end abortion. Obviously, we're a nonprofit. So financial gifts and donations of time and volunteerism is awesome. They can also find information about that at the website. Uh, but really, if someone gets engaged with their church and says, let's put a little committee together, let's put a little task force together, let's ask a Human Coalition staff member to come and educate us. Um, churches, if the lay people bubble it up, it'll get done. You know, If there's enough lay people that say, we gotta start working on ending abortion, and we wanna get connected with Human Coalition or other pro-life groups, uh, we're we're going to make a lot of headway. So yes, the simple things, Facebook, email list, become a donor. But beyond that, let's get connected to your church and start linking arms together. 
That's so good. We do need more educational programs in local churches on this issue. And then I love that you brought up the action fund because you all are going to be in Austin this next legislative session we hear. Yep. So that will be a, a great addition to the pro-life movement down in our, our state capital. So, but how do we stay uh, energetic? How do we keep moving when we see we're not seeing the reversal of Ro versus Wade? We are seeing um, some Supreme Court decisions and court decisions constantly that are not in our favor. How do you stay positive, Brian? And how do you encourage other people to stay positive? You know, um, the Supreme Court is a frustration. We need one or two more justices. I think that's very clear. Uh, and the news, keep in mind, is designed to keep us at bay. So we got to understand that what's being fed to us um, on the TV and on the internet is designed to keep us down. Uh, I personally find it very easy to stay very motivated, and that's because there are TVs around our office that click up by 10, 15, 20 babies every day. So I get to walk in and see lives saved all the time, and it's not that hard for me to get up and say, I'm going back into work so we can save more lives today. The, what, what folks need to understand is whether a life is saved through Human Coalition or a pregnancy center or other pro-life groups, every time a mom who is going to abort decides instead to choose life, she now becomes an evangelist for life. That's culture change. It might be culture change in her family or with a friend, with a college roommate, but that woman becomes a force now for good and a force for life. It's hard to, it's, it's almost imperceptible because it's not making the news, but every time a baby is saved, the pro-life movement strikes a huge win and you begin to see culture changing at the family level, which is where I think it needs to happen in addition to the political level and the cultural level. So the motivation for us to stay engaged and frankly, in my view, to redouble our efforts is not because of wins or losses that we see at the political level because politics tends to trail. It's what's going on at the corporate level um, in the community level. So you well know that there's been five, eight, 10 years of wins at the state level in terms of legislation. Well, that's because there's been thousands and thousands of wins at the cultural level and in churches and in communities before that that bubble up into politics. I actually think we're much closer to ending abortion than some would realize. And, and we've made quite a bit of wins over the last 10 years. But every time a baby is rescued, every time a mom changes her mind, that's a win. You save enough babies, eventually you win. It, it, and it's gonna win across all spheres of, of influence. So if somebody needs encouragement, just go to humancoalition.org every day and look at the number and you're gonna get pumped up because it's not just a baby who was saved, but you just, you just help to save an entire legacy, an entire lineage of a family, and downstream, it's going to carry the day. We're, we're going to get there. That's so powerful. I mean, that is true. And we're even seeing the younger generation turn more and more pro-life as we um, see through medical technology that this is a baby um, from fertilization all the way to uh, human death that we have, natural death that we have a responsibility to life and that this is a very important issue of our time. Um, Tracy, do you have anything else you want to add before I ask Brian a, our typical funny question that he doesn't know about? I just, I loved as you were talking, um, I thought about what a practical way to apply the scripture, think on what is lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, and going and seeing those numbers saved, and just what a good reminder. It's easy to get driven to the negative, especially if you work in the political arena and that can take our eyes off what the truth is and the eyes off of what's really happening. So thanks for sharing that. 
and I can't wait to hear the question. But. So good. Well, Twitter, you know, I follow Human Coalition on Twitter, and I get so excited every time I see, they, they tweet out every time a baby is saved. It's so oh. encouraging. It just keeps you built up, and we cannot thank you enough, Brian, for you and your team for being faithful to the call of God on your life in this hour. What we're doing is encouraging the body of Christ that we cannot sit on the sidelines any longer when it comes to our culture. And if we do simple steps like praying, if we do simple steps like voting in every election, we'll now be in the top 2% of all Texans. Can you believe that? And it's time for us to engage with whatever our heart is. And I know there's people listening to us all over Texas right now and over America that have been praying, that have been intercessors for the unborn, but need somebody to give them permission to step out and do more. And we today want to give you permission. Step out. Give some dollars. Volunteer for the cause. Uh, don't just stay in the prayer room or your closet crying out to God for the end of abortion. That is absolutely the most important thing we can do. But it's time for all of us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this movement. And Brian, we just commend you all, and we just are so thankful for you and look forward to recommending a lot of people to you. So with that, you get to answer. We always ask our folks, uh, I just started this with Connie Burton, my last interview, some funny question. So I think we're all about the same age. Tracy might be a little older. Okay. But, <laughs> but you know, so what's your favorite 80s movie, Brian? <laughs> Or 90, early 90s movie? Um, it's a fairly easy question to answer, but it's somewhat embarrassing because uh, it was a cult classic. But there was a John Cusack movie called Better Off Dead. Oh, yes. Which was a cult classic movie. And uh, I want my $2. That's one of my favorite lines from, from any movie. You'd have to watch it to understand it. But... I was a say anything girl, right? Yep. Well, that's a close up. second. Yep. yep. <laughs> Better Off Dead, John Cusack. Yep. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I just want to remind people that my new book, Enduring to the End, Overcoming Offenses, Bitterness, and Unforgiveness is out. It's written for millennials. It's only 38 pages, I think. And you can get this by uh, any contribution to Christians Engage. Um, we are so excited um, to just continue to connect the church with basic practical information to help you fulfill the call of God on your life in these areas. Thank you, Brian and Human Coalition. And check them out at humancoalition.org. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is a production of Christians Engaged. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit that exists to awaken, motivate, and educate ordinary believers in Jesus Christ to pray for our nation regularly, vote in every election, and engage our hearts in some form of political activism. To learn more about us, please visit our website at christiansengaged.org. That's christiansengaged.org.